Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. The big news is that Phoenix Live View 0.17 was finally released. So if you recall, Chris McCord had presented on this in his keynote at ElixirConf, but the library wasn't yet available. So now it's actually out. And right as it was about to be released, there was a crazy Safari bug that Chris ran into. And what it was is when you would add the CSS rule of pointer events none, which, by the way, has been part of a new Phoenix app that's been the way new Phoenix apps have been generated for like the last three years, that rule has been in your project. So unless you've removed it, it's there. And then Safari, when it sees this, it would say, I'm going to ignore all click events and pointer events on the CSS that this covers. And Phoenix was doing this for any time that you disabled, like it was in a disconnected state. And then when you remove that to say, now reactivate the pointer events, Safari says, nope, I don't want to. And making everything unclickable. Safari, why'd you do that? <laughs> That's how my browser works. Is that now how it's supposed to be? <laughs> so Chris McCord wrote up a blog post about this, uh, How Safari Ruined My Tuesday, over at the fly.io blog, where you can read about it, and he gives a demo showing how this works. And because of all the attention that we got, the Safari team actually opened up a bug to track it. In Chris's blog, he talks about, if you haven't already dealt with this and fixed it, there's a simple changes you can make in your app to just work around it. So that's something cool. But that does bring us into the Live View 0.17 release. So let's mention a few things. Like this includes the new live session. And I was really excited to start playing with the on mount, which is a plug like hook that lets you hook into the router and also hook into uh, you can like put them in individual live views where it's like plug like where you can say continue or halt and redirect and things like that. So it's really nice because it lets you build up interesting flows where you can force authentication and stuff. Yeah, this is the release where you get a lot of fun stuff that we talked about, you know, like slots is pretty interesting, the HEX templates showing some love to the components. What are some things you guys are looking forward to to this? Have you guys tried it out yet? Yeah, I tried it out on my blog, actually. I did a bunch of things on my blog. I upgraded to Phoenix 1.6. That was the first thing. And, and that also came with the Hex uh, templating thing, if I remember right. Uh, but then there's also the Live View 0.17. And on, on my blog, I have Alpine JS doing some real simple things. And so I was, I was looking forward to the JS stuff in, in Live View 0.17 just to see what this was like. Like, how, can this solve some of the issues, some of the pain points that I have? And the pain points I typically have, and maybe it's the way I organize my, my templates, but my nav bar and live view and making that like aware of like clicks into different pages and highlighting, you know, or, or under, underlining the, the current page you're on in the nav bar. All right, so that's always been a pain point. And so I, I've, I've had to bring in Alpine for that and I was really hoping that the JavaScript stuff in LiveView was going to help solve for that without Alpine. Unfortunately, it doesn't. It's it's still a little bit early. Now, it gives you some of those basic tools like show, hide, and transition. That's really great. But but the way that I had organized my templates, my nav bars are rendered outside of the LiveView mount. And so just heads up, the JS stuff doesn't work when you're rendering stuff, even if it's Heeks, outside of your, your LiveView, right? So like a it's in my root template, right? And then render nav bar and then inner content, right? And the inner content, that's where the live view kind of mounts. And so it's outside of that like tree of uh, live view aware stuff. So heads up, doesn't work there, but you can reorganize it to where your light, your nav bar is inside of there and then it'll react to the JS stuff. So that's great. Uh, but even then it's still, it's still kind of complicated to like, you can do something with dispatch. I know that there's probably something there if I kept hacking away at it. You could probably do something with js.dispatch and then capture it on the JavaScript side. Anyway, I can go that could be a whole podcast episode, really uninteresting one, but <laughs> be a whole episode on how to make your nav bar like react to clicks and and stuff. So I don't know. One of those super basic things. It feels like it should be a soft thing. Anyway, all right, maybe I'll maybe I'll contribute to Phoenix at some point to like make that a, an easy story, but the good news is it worked. The JavaScript stuff is uh, is really interesting. I'm really hopeful and uh, excited to see that grow. And I think it's the right direction. The upgrade itself wasn't terrible, but it was some work. I won't lie. It, it, was, it was some work to get there. 
But I think it's really worth it because it opens up a whole new class of tools for me. So definitely worth it. But I don't think this is a drop-in kind of upgrade. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that live session, I was really excited about using that, right? So in my router, I could say, within this whole block of separate live view pages, I can live redirect between them and using reusing the same web socket and then having the on mount let me do the assigns that I want and the authentication and redirects if you don't have something that should be set up. And that part was really elegant. Let me remove a lot of boilerplate code that was in all my live views. I did notice though that the live session also has an option to set a root template for that whole set of live views. So maybe that could be a way of restructuring some of those nav template things to to get your solution like you're talking about. Yeah, I have to play with that. I, I, I didn't have a, a spot, I don't think, for like a live session, but I wonder, maybe I'm misunderstanding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I should check that out. But yeah, I agree. It was not a drop-in upgrade. It will take some effort, especially depending on the size of your app and how much live view you're already doing, how many live components you already have. It really depends on all that in your project. But it's totally interesting. I'm excited about it. Just as a, for instance, every single one of my modals, when I have a fair number, they all have to be hand adjusted for the new way. So it's just something to be aware of. Uh, You'll need to set some time aside to kind of play with it before you just say, hey, do mixed steps upgrade. It's like, don't just do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I got to ask you, like, I've got a war against modals. I, I think they're a design atrocity. So I'm curious, so like, how how many modals you got in there? Oh, I don't know. We don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, mo- moving on from a little bit from LiveView, I guess we can move adjacently to LiveBook. So there's a new verse, new feature uh, and, and version, I guess, of LiveBook uh, that's showing up. Um, I, I think last episode we talked about LiveBook.dev. Uh, so that website launched, which is pretty cool. So there's more stuff that's happening with LiveBook. There's now a uh, badge that you can put on uh, on your site, such as Run in LiveBook. So there's a little badge that just says Run in LiveBook. I'm not going to pretend I understand all of it, but from what I can tell, it points to livebook.dev with that URL to that file of your, your live book, your live MD file. And then it'll ask you, where do you want to open it? Uh, and you can point it to any instance that you're aware of, of Livebook, and then boom, voila, it opens it up and you can check it out, which is super cool. I really love seeing how this is this is going to evolve. And I think that there could be even more possibilities with this. I'll hold that for the next uh, the next episode, maybe. So Kai Wern from episode 66 created a short video that shows the creation of the button. He loaded it into his blog uh, to launch the recon-focused uh, live book that we talked to him about back in that episode. So that's pretty cool. Also, Nerve's Livebook 0.3.0 also works with a run in Livebook button. Uh, so you can point it at your Nerve's device and you can launch it from there too. It sounds like Wojtek Mach has been spending a little too much time with Jose because he's now doing that thing <laughs> where he tweets this mysterious picture and doesn't say anything about it, right? <laughs> so we saw a picture come through where there's a Livebook graphic displayed on the Mac OS dock as if it's a separate launchable application. So... Kind of made us wonder if he's using that desktop library we talked about in episode 69 with Dominic Lutz. We're looking forward to learning more about what's going on there. Yeah. I'm curious, like, would it be possible to, like, open in your own Livebook Mac app? Is that, or, or your desktop app? Like, is that the idea here? There's a number of different directions it could go. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But following on that uh, Livebook information with the launcher, XDoc version 0.25.5 is out and it has the .livemd support. So that's the, the file extension, livemd for Markdown. And it now supports automatically including the run in livebook badge inside your xdocs. So that's really cool because it lets you write guides, especially as library authors, writes guides to how do I use this library and publish that in the docs so people can easily be seeing it and maybe they want to see an example of that thing you're talking about. They can click the launch this in my in a live book instance. So it really does lower the barrier for people to start playing with a library and maybe seeing some example code so they can quickly get started. So I'm really excited to start seeing that in the wild. Yeah, it's on my to do list. I got to add that to the date time parser. I feel like that's perfect for it. <laughs> it's a, it's such an in, input you know input output kind of kind of library. It's so easy. Just stick it in a live MD. 
paste in the string you're curious about and let's see if it parses it right. I am so excited. All right, Elixir Conf 2021 videos are up. They are all posted to YouTube. So that's a lot. That that, that was a lot quicker than the three months that I, I thought it was going to be. So uh, I, cool, I guess. Yeah, this is this is great. There's a lot of good stuff up there. So you can get your link in the show notes for the full playlist. And it's nice that you can play them at a faster speed too. So like at lunch, you know, you, if you come across one of the speakers that are just really kind of taking their time, <laughs> you can speed it up enough to make it a lunchtime kind of kind of video. Mark, your your presentation's up there too. Tell us about it. Yeah. So my presentation, I was uh, really pleased and happy to be able to present there. I introduced two new libraries from Fly that make it easy to add regional awareness to your Phoenix app, and then one that makes it much easier to work with your Postgres database when you're going global into multiple regions, and you're working with read replicas, but then not getting stuck and having to re-architect your application to deal with read replicas and the asynchronous process of replication, which that introduces all these sorts of problems. So my presentation was finally up on that. So I'm really happy to see that. Hopefully it can be helpful for you if you're interested in getting started on Fly and going global with your ordinary Phoenix app. So hopefully we can talk some more about that in the future. I don't know what problems you're talking about, Mark. You just tell your users to hit refresh a couple of times until the data... <laughs> just put a little banner at the top. If you just made a change and nothing's showing up. Yeah. Syncs. <laughs> so are there any sessions in particular that you guys want to check out or call out to anyone? I've really been enjoying Postgres lately. And so there was a lot of Postgres sessions. There was yours, which was really cool. I want to dig into the engine of that to see how it really works, but it's uh, pretty cool. I got to mention Todd Rizadek's presentation. The fellow didn't have notes in front of him because of Linux, and I, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> he still managed to give one of the best presentations, uh, I, I think, you know, out of, out of the conference. And now it's, it's all about Postgres, but he did it with just such, a, such class. I, I loved it. Uh, and if you enjoyed his, um, Todd also recommends, and I, and I do too, there's another talk by Tyler Hawkins um, that goes into scaling uh, Ecto, which is a topic near to me, uh, near and dear to me as well. So those are the two sessions I can definitely recommend. Dave Luchias is also really great on Surface and Livebook, or uh, sorry, Live Live View and uh, JavaScript. So those are the three I would call out. But there's a lot of great ones out there. Yeah, and Jose talked a bit about Elixir one thirteen coming out. He actually tweeted saying that the RC should be coming out soon, and by the time that this comes out, it actually might even be out already. So that's an interesting presentation to watch. Here's a little bit of a spoiler. There's a lot of internal development going on that will make improved developer tooling possible. So give that one a look if you're interested in what's coming up in 1.13. And next up, Gleam, which is a statically typed language that runs on the Beam, now has the ability to publish hex PM packages. So that's something that Louis Pilfold has been working on. He's the maintainer and creator of Gleam that he's been working on is getting package support for Gleam packages. And now he's able to push to hex PM. So congrats to him. That's a major milestone. Hey, there's a new Phoenix project called PLDS. Maybe I'll just call it by its full name, which is Phoenix Live Dashboard Standalone. Standalone being the big thing right there. It's another open source effort coming out of the Dashbit team. Uh, this is by uh, Philip Sampaio. And he has a YouTube video that shows what it's like and to see how it's working. It's actually pretty well produced. And so PLDS, what it is, is a command line tool that launches a local Phoenix application running the Phoenix Live dashboard. All right, so how could this be interesting? <laughs> well, it makes it so you can connect to a running Elixir cluster with Phoenix applications over there. And so you can access the observer-like interface that Phoenix Live dashboard has, but on a remote you know, cluster. That's the really cool part. Another cool part is that it includes Broadway pipelines. Mind blown emoji right there. Insert mind blown emoji. So it's for visualizing a Broadway setup inside of a project. This calls back to uh, Marlis uh, Sariva's uh, uh, conference talk at Elixir Conf like a year or two ago, where you see the the Star Trek like kind of dashboard of all the uh, all the lights and circles turning green and red when they have work or when they need work or something like that. So. Really looking forward to it. I got I to gotta take it for a spin. That visualization is really much like what we saw from Marlus way back when he presented on that originally. It does have that visualization. It's a live view page, so it's giving you some real-time kind of representation of what's going on with your Broadway pipeline. Very cool. I just want to clarify, it does have Phoenix Live dashboard, and that's the value. But I mentioned it's, 
it doesn't have to be about connecting to a local uh, an Elixir cluster with Phoenix applications. It could work with any Elixir applications. The Phoenix part is that you can use Phoenix Live Dashboard to connect to those those other clusters. And next up, Scenic 0.11, there's a beta release that's being published. So Scenic is a library that's a alternate way of doing graphical representation. It's not web-based, it's it's its own thing. And so this is a major update for the Scenic library. It's the first time it feels like they might be approaching a 1.0 stable API. So there are breaking changes. If you're interested in Scenic or you've already been using it, check out the details on how to upgrade. All right, last item is, do you have an appetite for more conferences? You know, Elixir Conf just happens, but there's other good ones. Uh, the, the next one coming up, which probably be around the time that this episode drops, is Codebeam America. Codebeam America is coming up next, and uh, our good friend Quinn Wilton will be uh, uh, speaking there um, about 100 years of Erlang. So it'll be a really cool talk. But it's the dates are November 3rd through the 5th of this year. So if you're interested in, uh, in, in that, Codebeam America has always been a good conference. Go grab your tickets. Go, go check it out. It's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good content there, uh, especially if you, if you missed uh, ElixirConf. Um, so Codebeam America would be another good one to go to. After that is the Big Elixir. The Big Elixir is in New Orleans and uh, in the U.S., and they actually have a call for papers, and that's still on through November 23rd. So if you uh, want to speak there, now's a good time to get your paper together and submit it to them. And that conference will be happening next year, 2022, on uh, March 24th through the 25th. And we've got links to all this in the show notes. And that's it for the news. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Herman Velasco. Herman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Herman, I'm glad we could have you back. We had you with us back in episode 18 when we were talking about what you were doing with TDD and a book, online book, with Phoenix. So let's get a quick update. Whatever happened with that? Is that is that a resource people can still hit? Yeah, absolutely. That is um, a little bit on pause, unfortunately. Uh, and that's because I launched a course in between and that sort of took precedence. But it's still very much um, a useful resource. I have people who reach out all the time, say how valuable it is. And that's uh, that's kind of amazing, honestly, uh, that people are reading it. They're, they're enjoying it. But yeah, it's still there. And my aim is to, once I finish the course, is to loop back and uh, finish the, the first version of that book. We didn't actually bring you back on to talk about that in depth, but uh, there was something else that you were talking about, which was this pattern that uh, someone else had kind of started, which was these seven GUI tasks, where it's kind of like the, the canonical to-do app kind of approach, where it says, how can we do this one thing in many different frameworks or languages? Someone said, there are these seven GUI patterns, how can we do those in whatever language or framework? And you said, I'm going to show how to do that in LiveView. Resources like that are really great because they help people who are coming new to the community to start to envision how LiveView works and how it fits in in these common patterns. And sometimes these patterns aren't the things that we always think to jump to to show as an example. But before we get into all that, I want to hear a little bit more about you. Like uh, where, in case people haven't listened to the whole back catalog in episode 18, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I live in Atlanta. I actually... I think the last time we recorded, I was already living in Atlanta. I'm not quite sure. The last time we talked, it was exact, almost exactly a year ago. The, the episode released on October 20th. Today's the 19th. Mm. So happy anniversary, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But maybe maybe one year is a year ago. Is that a, a better pin of where you were? Yeah. So I was in Atlanta at the time. Uh, I was in Philly before that and for a couple of years and then Boston. But I live in Atlanta. I think the, the, the actual big change then since we last spoke was that I left ThoughtBot and I am doing consulting on my own. So that's what I do on my day to day, doing consulting Elixir and Rails. So Elixir Phoenix mostly. No nerves uh, yet, I should say. Always interested in that, but uh, I haven't delved into that. Uh, but yeah, Elixir and Phoenix Consulting, uh, a lot of what I was doing with ThoughtBot, but doing solo, trying to explore several things and along with that, doing courses and things like that. Have you enjoyed that that transition? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, there's there's pros and cons to everything. I miss, uh, ThoughtBot was great. I miss the, the, the people there and uh, getting to work with teams um, as a team on a consulting project, if you will, since I'm solo now, I tend to go in solo into projects. But it's been a, a wonderful experience, and I'm very excited to keep doing it. Yeah, I bet that stretches. Well, I, though I don't remember how how much it would. I, well, you tell me. Like, as a consultant at Thoughtbot, right? You're or at any agency really. It's not unique to Thoughtbot, I reckon. But 
you're probably shielded from a lot of the usual business or financials or politics maybe of getting the deals, you know, getting the, the contracts. But as a solo consultant, you aren't shielded from that. You probably, you get the full force of that. So uh, how's that? That's exactly right. I think the biggest difference is the sales cycle, right? Finding contracts and doing the first scope of work. So I've been, I've been involved in almost every phase, I think at ThoughtBot, but not a lot. So I, I attended some sales meetings because I wanted to do that and some sort of um, scoping sessions and things like that, but never the full cycle and, you know, having to do it by myself. So um, that's been a big difference. I think it's, I enjoy new challenges. So it's been sort of taking it that, that approach, right? Like let's take a new challenge, but I will say finding clients. Uh, so, so far it's been a lot of network, like already, you know, the network that I already had, uh, has been really good in that regard. So I can't say that I've, um, gotten clients from cold calls, cold emailing yeah. or yeah, exactly <laughs> that kind of thing. I have spoken to a few people. It's been really interesting. I have spoken to a few people uh, that I had never met and that's been amazing. I had a call with, uh, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to go into all the details, but, um, it's been, it's been really exciting to, to be able to talk to people I had never met who are interested in potentially working together and just getting to understand their problems, what solutions they need, whether I'm even a good fit. It's something I'm, I'm always very open about. It's like, I might not be the best person for your project. And I want to, I want to be clear about that. I, I don't want to get myself work that I'm not going to enjoy and that the, my clients wouldn't enjoy either. So trying to assess all that stuff has been really interesting. Yeah, I don't do consulting nowadays. I don't think I'm even allowed to, but <laughs> <laughs> though, though I do remember that that's there's a lot of autonomy in consulting and I, and I really enjoyed that that side of it. It's not just the autonomy. Like that's not the pin that makes it enjoyable for me. I think it's the honest conversations that you get to have. That was really the pin in consulting that 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 I enjoyed. And by honest conversations, you know, that that means the well, this, the sales part of it, like you're admitting, you know, to your potential, you know, uh, uh, partners, like I may not be the best person for this or doing the retrospectives every week or two weeks, whatever your, your cadence is. And, you know, those are honest conversations with the folks that are essentially paying you, you know, to, to do the work. And sometimes it's easier in product oriented companies to not be as honest (laughs) Uh, because you gotta you gotta be mindful of the politics you know that are there and the long-term relationships there and and long-term is you know the uh, one of the the fears you know is that because because it is long-term maybe you can't say those things that you want (laughs) to say i think that's absolutely right i I love that aspect of it uh it's totally terrifying at first but once you've done it a few times you realize that doing the right thing for the client even if it means saying things that they probably don't want to hear is amazing. It, it tends to, in my experience, I should say, it tends to end up well. If they don't like it and if they don't want to work with you, I think that's also okay. Like maybe that's just not what they want to do, but staying in a bad relationship doesn't help your client and it doesn't help you. So I do think it gives you that freedom to be honest and to be transparent. And it takes a little bit of uh, guts to do it the first few times. But once you see it's um, it's pretty good for both parties, it, it becomes easier. Guts. like it. So part of uh, honest, honest Conversations that's a regular thing you have to do when you're learning anything, right? I'm help trying to transition here. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're trying to learn something, you have to be honest with yourself, honest with the material that you're trying to apply, you know, your solutions to. And one of the things that you came across that I found pretty interesting was this seven GUI tasks. Where are you going with this? Like what, what made you uh, be attracted to this, this problem set? And what, what are you doing with this? So I have to give credit to Joel Kenville, one of my old colleagues at ThoughtBot for introducing me to it. He, sh- I don't even remember how it came about. We were talking, you know, we, we were always chatting. And one time we were chatting, he mentioned the seven GUIs. And I think he had done this challenge with to help someone with Elm. The first time I heard that, I said, I put it in the back of my head and I said, I want to do that with Livey at some point. And it's extremely interesting. I, I don't know how, like which way we want to dive into it, but the idea it's seven tasks, seven common UI tasks. I don't know who defines common, to be honest. It's just a <laughs> web page online, right? But they seem pretty common, pretty interesting. I mean, I think if you look at them, um, if you, you know, list them out, it's a counter, a temperature converter, a flight booker, a timer, uh, like a CRUD application, a circle drawer, and then finally, uh, cells like a spreadsheet. And so, they seem like really good tasks in the UI world. And even though LiveView is not technically only UI because you're dealing with a server, 
you're not just in the UI. You're not just a UI library and things like that. I wanted to see how, how Livey would handle those. And two, also to just do it for fun, explore patterns and also write blog posts because I enjoy writing. Circle drawer. That's, that's a common thing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've come across that. Yeah. I think that's more around how do I do raw graphic manipulation or drawing to a canvas. I also never had to do that, but <laughs> yeah, see, I, have, I think the interesting thing though, is they tend to have, and so I don't really know, I haven't gotten to the circle drawer one, but I think the interesting things are that they tend to have constraints around what you can do. So in the circle drawer, I believe when you draw a circle, the nearest circle to the new one you draw needs to either change color or the radius needs to increase. So, so there's constraints in the UI that force you to handle either simultaneous tasks or things that need to happen. You know, with the timer, for example, you needed to handle like different timing issues. So th there's constraints in the UI that, that they kind of force you. And these are just examples of things you can do. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, as as a boring web dev person, I, I that is apparently seriously lacking uh, drawing circles abilities. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole field that I, I I'm going to be honest with myself. I, I don't uh, I don't I don't know math very well. <laughs> I don't I. <laughs> Let me let me rephrase. I'm going to give myself a little bit more credit. Okay, I took AP Calc, y'all. So I graduated and didn't have to take that stuff in college. So I am I am good at math at least in high school level, <laughs> but I've never had to revisit it, and um, it honestly frightens me a little bit to go into any development job and and like see math in my code. Like I got to do radius and powers now. Like I don't know how to do that, right? And I got to figure out the nearest distance to something, and and then shade this thing or do boundary detection. No, I don't. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, so now I understand the value of a circle drawer. Is it's uh, it's to at least touch that uh, that that area. One thing I saw on there is a flight booker. Which reminds me of your your talk. How how do you think your your talk went at ElixirConf? That was a big part of your talk. I hope the talk went well. I think it went well. You'd have to ask the audience. I was one. It went really well. <laughs> <laughs> thank it you, went thank really you. well. Good. Very Congrats. kind of you. Um, I enjoyed the talk. I really did. Um, I was worried about it because I had the idea for the talk way before I prepared it. It's one. It was one of those uh, more aspirational than nail down talk. So for example, when I, when I pitched testing live view as a talk for last year's ElixirConf, I had a very clear idea because I've been doing test room development for a very long time and applying it to live view. I had already been doing it. So I had a good idea. In this case, I wanted to see how we could model domains in live view and try to remove invalid states. And this ties to the flight booker because as I was thinking about this and I was doing the seven GUIs, I thought maybe one of these could be a great example for this. And so I started pursuing the live view. And so I have actually rebuilt that flight booker probably six or seven times in different ways. So there's one of them, which is in my blog post, and it's not the latest. The latest ones have been with my talk uh, at ElixirConf. So there's sort of an intersection there. But yeah, it's um, the task is pretty simple. It seems pretty simple, at least. Uh, you have a flight booker. You're able to choose one-way or two-way flights. Um, I think they're called return flights in the... And the challenge itself, and you need certain validations. You need to have valid dates and uh, be able to book the one-way flight or the two-way flight. They're pretty specific. You need to have a, a certain error message and things like that. So that was a task, and I kind of took a digression. But yeah, so I used that for my ElixirConf talk because it seemed like a decent, not straightforward example of how you might model domains because this is just a form. And so usually we would skip all the domain modeling and... Uh, Go straight to using Ecto. You say skip, so let me, let me let me dive into that. Let's unpack that. Here's the challenge. I don't think we actually skip it. I think we might gloss over it because uh, it's it's a necessary part of like building the form. You have to model something. That's what I actually really appreciate about your talk is that you spent a, a good chunk of time describing the process of designing the modeling. You know, the whole part of it of like making sense of of why we're building what we're we're building and finding a better way to to model that. And I guess that's my challenge is that I don't I don't think we skip it. I think we have to do that. That's a requirement to, to get anything out there. We've modeled something in our head, but we weren't intentional about it. That's fair. I, I like that distinction. I, I do think I agree with that. In the talk, I said, this is our implicit domain model because we haven't, you know, we may not have taken the time to do it or done it explicitly. But yeah, we, we have done it to a certain extent in some way. And you're right. When we build this thing, we have some model in our heads. And that's what we're putting into code and into the web page. It's just about being 
more explicit in thinking about the potential cases, all the possible combinations, if you will, that's what I mentioned in the talk of, of your states and how you model those. So one of the things I, I just want to kind of talk about, which is the around the seven tasks and what you set out to do, is just to make people aware that this is a re, this is something they can go look at online. But like the original implementations of this were in Java Swing. So it's like desktop app interface. And then there is a link on the top where you can check out the code for all the other language implementations submitted by other people. Assuming you do take this all the way to completion and finishing all the pieces, do you intend to have Live View or Phoenix be one of those implementations that you're going to share back? That is a great question. <laughs> I think I probably should. If I'm honest, I don't know that I was planning on it. I don't think it's selfish. I think it's a little bit of fear in the sense that I would share them happily. I'm sharing them as, as blog posts. I always link to the commits, to the source code and all that stuff. And I want to make that available. But I would not want the rest of the world to think this is good live view code that we should, uh, that, you know, it's like the best live view implementation of the seven tasks. That's, I guess, my, I don't want to necessarily claim that. And I guess I, I don't have to claim that if I, if I only link to it from the seven tasks, right? Uh, but that's just the only thing. I, it's sort of a, an exercise that I like to go through and I'm trying to share that as I go along. But I would be worried about saying, this is how we could implement this in live view. And then other people coming and looking at it and saying, uh, you know, other people from other languages, I'm not talking about here, Elixir or Phoenix. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy people seeing that and seeing, oh, this is one way to implement this. Uh, I just don't want people to think uh, this is how they, whoever they is, right? All, all the Elixir community would implement this in live view. And it's bad for these reasons, right? Because I'm not really even like... Most of the times I'm not super concerned about performance or think, you know, there's things like that that I'm not really concerned about. I'm just running this locally and uh, there's obviously different trade-offs you could make and things like that. So that's the only concern, but I should probably share that back and it could be a good resource. So I think I just talked myself into, into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I like you, Herman. It's, it's honest conversations. <laughs> yep. So coming back to that flight booker example, back way early in my development days, uh, I did a lot of desktop development, which is like Windows development. And the way you develop Windows applications and anything like this, like I'm looking at something as Java Swing, right? It's very stateful. And then we started switching to this, the web and everything initially was totally stateless. And now we're coming back to where, oh, we can be stateful on the server. And I'm just curious about your thoughts and how you felt that matches up for any of this like uh, desktop app I don't know if, did you ever do any like desktop development back in the day? I have not done a whole bunch of uh, desktop stuff. I have, um, I guess, played around with Swift at some point and done some Mac stuff, but um, I haven't done a lot of desktop stuff, but I do understand what, you, what you're talking about. And I, th I think it's extremely interesting how stateful we can be with Live View, right? So I come from a web background where everything's stateless. It has been for the longest time. But having this process be able to hold some state, which of course is ephemeral and to a certain degree, right? If the process crashes, it's gone. You know, we're going to reconnect to a last, uh, last known good state. But ha having that, it kind of gives you a superpower. And this is the way I've been thinking about it. It's of course dangerous because anytime you have state that could be corrupted and, and all these things. And that's part of what my, what my talk was about. But one of the really interesting things that I think comes out from this model is it's actually when you compare it to other tools similar to LiveView that are coming up, right? Like Hotwire and Livewire and PHP and all these things. The big difference that I see with those, and I have played with some of them, is you don't have this ability for the server to control things. It feels to me like in the other tools, the browser is always in control. And just to give an example, if you want to do the timer scenario, right? There's a timer um, GUI task. If you're doing this in Hotwire and Rails, you're probably going to have to be polling from the browser, you don't have a server that can be running a timer and pushing events to the browser. Or you could, of course, do it in a background job, but then you're involving Redis or some other, you know, something else that's that's doing that kind of thing for you. So it opens up to this sort of concept that the server has more of a central part into pushing things into the to the client. And I really like that. I haven't explored that to its steps. I haven't you know explored it fully, but I really like that. Yeah, just to follow on with that, it reminds me of something that Chris McCord talked about in his keynote, which was he was trying to give a name to that style of app. And he, he was calling them live apps. And I think really what you're touching on there is how live view really truly is different from a lot of these other implementations that other frameworks are trying to bring, 
which is that you can get that server push. That the server can be constantly aware of things and something that Cade does two hours away from me can immediately show up and be pushed to my browser. And there's no polling or anything. It's just you can have more collaborative, more instant, more server push. And that is just really powerful. And when you realize that these other frameworks can't do that, they do get some of the benefits of saying, well, maybe we don't have to have a JSON API and we don't have to serialize everything or we don't have to have GraphQL you can get some of the, the interactive me to the server improved. But LiveView really, with that process, the long-lived stateful process and subscriptions and everything else that's going on in the server, man, it's really powerful. You can do a lot more. And that's what I liked about the idea of, you know, trying to come up with a name for that. And, and Chris's approach is like, people are trying to name these things, like let's throw in this as, a, as an option, live apps. I don't know. Did you, what were your thoughts on Chris and, and his talking about that? I really like that distinction. It is a distinction I've been trying to think about and make for the exact same reasons, because there's people who, who say, oh yeah, live view is the same as live wire, same as uh, hot wire. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> 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 and uh, to be clear, I think there's tremendous benefit in all of them, right? It's the what you just said, you don't have to build your JSON API, all, all these, all these amazing benefits that are coming from sort of this integrated system, if you will, like integrating these things more closely. But I do think the distinction between, and I like HTML over the wire for like hot, well, that's what hot wires is, right? Um, HTML over the wire concept versus live apps, which I actually like the name that Chris gave these apps in his talk. I think that's extremely important. And one of the reasons why I think it's important is sort of the distinction of who owns things fundamentally. Like in the HTML over the wire example, there are things that are still owned by the browser, by the client, right? Where does this logic live? Again, the logic of polling, polling is not bad. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to rag on polling. We've been polling things all the time for, for a very long time, right? But it's this concept of that sort of logic would have to live in your browser on, on JavaScript somewhere. Whereas in live view, this can live in the server. This can all live in a single place. All this logic lives there. You can look at your live view. You can know that, you know, what it's doing, what oh, this whole timer process, those kinds of things, this push events. And I think this gets even, it's going to get even further. Like it's going to be even more in the server, at least in the code, right? It won't actually be running in the server, but with the, with the JS functions that are getting introduced in, I think it's, Dot 17, maybe. Uh, Chris talked about those as well. Um, I'm really excited for that. All your code will be living in that live view. And uh, it'll be sort of that single source of truth, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was interesting to see those. I haven't even actually looked how those are implemented. Are Like, are they pushing events to the JavaScript for the JavaScript to take action? Or it's weird because you're saying JS in Elixir, right? You're saying JS dot do this thing on your live view. I don't even know how that works. I haven't had time to to check into it yet. I haven't either. My guess is that it's simply writing JavaScript, right? You're just writing some JavaScript functions. Like when you, you know, you're, you're doing a Phoenix click and then you pass a, a JS push. It's just writing some JavaScript for you. But now it's all written in your Elixir code. Yeah. The examples are cool because it's like you might have like JS dot push this thing, pipe it to this thing, pipe it to this thing. And then you just wrap that up in a little Elixir function, right? And pass that function in like hide modal. And just everything's all right there. And it's just nice and clean rather than having to like jump around between like different hooks in the JavaScript and go find those in the assets folder. And Or uh, what I've had to do is this seems like it builds upon push event. And so I would, I would push a bunch of events and then I'd have a bunch of little bespoke like handlers on the other side in JavaScript. So I'd just be writing this kind of stuff and the hook into other JavaScript frameworks or something to, to do the effects that I wanted. But but anyway, sorry, I don't want to take away from your point, but I love, yeah, I love the, the composability of this JS command stuff. So I'm curious, as you started doing some of these seven GUI tasks, were there any points that you found like, gosh, that's a little clumsy here, or wow, that's super elegant with LiveView? Like, what was the kind of feeling that you had in trying to implement something that wasn't thought of with LiveView in mind? I actually found both both of like uh, scenarios where I said, wow, this is amazing. This just kind of fell off the model. That case was the timer where I delayed introducing an actual process that did the timing and I just simulated ticks via just commands or like just saying we're sending a message to the process. And at the point where I had to stop the timer, so the, the way the timer example is to just to sort of give a little bit of background, you have a toggle that when you move it, you can, I forget exactly how it is, but 
there's a certain max amount of the for the timer. So if you move that, if the timer is full, then you should stop running time, basically, right? The time shouldn't continue going. I was really concerned as to how I was going to do that because I thought, how am I going to stop time? So anyway, I built it all sort of uh, stateless without considering a process running time. And then eventually I just added another process that was doing the timing, just ignoring messages once it's full. So you don't have to, you know, the, the timer is still going, but not in the sense of uh, your timer that you're rendering in Live View. So that just fell out of LiveView's really beautiful system, if you will. And that one was shocking to see how easy it was to do that. The challenges that I have found are things that are more designed for, for UIs. So, I, you know, once I get into the circle stuff, into the Excel, you know, spreadsheet kind of thing, I'll have to update you on that because I, I don't know how we're going to do those things. I do intend to, to get to them. But so far, the things that have been difficult are things that are just non-standard live. So to give you an example, I am working on the CRUD application right now. You have a list of users from your database. You can select one. You can create it, update it, delete it. And the user's first name, last name. And you can also filter the list of users that you have in memory. The difficulties with that that I ran into is that it's not necessarily just one form. Your standard live view doesn't work very well because you have, you have a filter, you have a select box, but then you also, that select box is either like if you select something on it, you're now acting on an on an existing user. If you haven't selected anything and you put in a first and last name, you're creating a user. So you can't just have a single form with the live view helpers, if you will. We can have a single form, but not with the live view helpers that handles the change set very cleanly and stuff like that. So it took me a few iterations to try to figure out to land in a solution that I liked. There are, of course, ways to do it when you you can have different assigns for each and every single one of those things, and each of them has triggers an event. Uh, and when you trigger the event, you sort of update the state in Live View. It works okay that way, but I wanted to sort of integrate it with Ecto and change sets because that is usually how we handle forms, right? And you have a form there, so that fundamental weirdness of like you kind of have a form, but at the same time, it's not a normal. Elixir form, like in a sense that we're used to web forms that you fill out and you submit once. So handling that, that has been kind of complicated. The resolution to that is sort of the same as my talk. And that's why all these things are sort of tied together in my brain because I've been solving them as I build my talk. But it's, it's sort of, you have multiple states. You have a state where you can actually have a selected user and therefore you're changing that. Or you could have a state where you have a new user and you're changing that, right? You're submitting a form for that. And so. If you watch the talk, you, you might understand, but we have basically a, a sum type now for that CRUD application and we're, we're rendering multiple forms depending on the state that the UI is in. But yeah, th those kinds of things have been slightly off and it's not, not exactly clean uh, with LiveView. Yeah, I think that kind of highlights uh, what I've seen where I've talked with other people is where you have a designer who has dreamed up the interface for something. It's like, I really, it's really important that it behave this way. And it's kind of not the happy path for building Phoenix live view things or just, you know, web in general, you know, and then you're like, oh, is it really, really important that it have a 250 millisecond <laughs> fade out? Because like, it's super yeah. important because like, you know, that just takes on this whole new work that has to be done to make that little design element happen. So that's kind of like what you're talking about here that I got is, you know, if we're, if we're trying to be really true to this particular seven GUI task, the UI that they had is, I'd say that that is a more reminiscent of a early 2000s kind of Windows form. I've seen things like that a lot, but you don't see that so much in the web today. But it was an interesting practice then to say, can I make the website behave in this way that's not the way we normally do web now? And can I make it do that? And what, how does that feel? Yeah, exactly. This is happening because I'm using LiveView and LiveView is not, you know, a UI library kind of thing, but it's also happening because LiveView is so good that we are trying to use it in things that it normally isn't built for, right? Like this is not exactly the thing that it was built for, especially circle drawing and again, you know, all these kinds of things. But I think the interesting thing is that it's so good and so powerful that like we can test these things, we can see how it works and then improve LiveView, right? And I think that's where like these JS commands are coming from, for example, right? That, that Chris talked about. This is, this is exactly the kind of thing we want to do some, you know, CSS animation, but you know, you don't want to have to be sending events to, you know, have a, a, a JS hook and then having the hook push some event to LiveView. Like we want to be able to do that easily in LiveView itself. And I think that's 
pushing those boundaries is what improves live view. And I think that's really helpful. And uh, it's both live use's fault for being so good. Curse you. (laughs) (laughs) But also what's making it even better, right? So I think it's amazing. And using libraries in ways they're not intended to. uh, A classic example on this show is live book. (laughs) But yeah, totally agree. I love how it's, yeah, definitely pushing the boundaries. You said something about uh, a couple of paragraphs ago, wanted to drop in a mention to Ecto nested change set. So I wanted to share my pain of Ecto and change sets and live view, the combination there, because I think it's, it's very much established that Ecto and change sets and therefore forms, uh, it's much more used to the concept of that stateless web. You get that one request, you do the process, and then you render your errors, and then you get the whole thing back, you know, on the next one, right? Ecto Nesto change set is, is helping bringing together, I think, uh, using Ecto and change sets and live view with the stateful concept there and mutating that, uh, that form like in place. And so it, it provides some good helpers, especially for like its name, nested association. So things like appending app, prepending, deleting things in a list or updating them in place and that kind of stuff. That's I think that's been a, a, a weak spot for, uh, for ecto change sets on on stateful uh, forms uh, powered by LiveView. Anyway, just want to throw that that out there because I, I think that's a contender. I don't know where what the status is, but a contender for like actually merging into ecto proper. Um, and so it's just a library right now to test out the API. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been doing LiveView full time, but back when I worked with Mark, we were doing a lot of LiveView, and I remember like Mark, you asked the question like, is there anything that was like weird or uncomfortable? And I felt like I ran into that a lot when we were using live view back when it was just fresh, like breaking changes were coming out every, every time they updated the library. And there were a lot of places where it was like, Oh, this is uncomfortable or, Oh yeah, I'm not going to animate that because I don't even know how. And I feel, I feel like it's come a long ways. I think there's probably going to be fewer and fewer cases where you're like, Oh, this is just awkward. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I have to hack my way through this. And I just feel like a lot of the rough edges are being, smoothed over with these updates and with the JS push updates, it's like now you can actually animate things and do things that were previously just difficult to do. Just to add to that, there's a personal project I've been working on and there's this one element, you know, I, there's no deadline for this. So like I can take my time <laughs> and work on the areas that are interest me at the moment. And it's like, I was using tailwind UI for the design and I wanted to have like this little notification toast kind of thing that would pop up. And I was like, oh, that's going to be hard. Because <laughs> it's like, I want it to slide in from the side and then be able to dismiss and have it go back out. It's like, ah. Oh. And then I just waited. And now with yeah. LiveView 0.17, <laughs> woohoo, I, I'm going to have my solution. But it, it is speaking to that thing of, you know, if we say there's certain things that worked really well for LiveView. And then when you start to push the edge, the boundary where a design says it needs to be this other way, that's been painful. And I think now we are really are getting to that point where, like Cade says, those rough edges are getting worn down and it's, it's going to be a much smoother experience. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how those toast notifications look now. Because if you recall, Mark, another developer on our team did that on the app we were working on and it didn't feel nice. I mean, it worked well. And like, he made the API as clean as he could. But like behind the scenes, it was like this funny little thing going on. It was like the sub process running to like, make sure that, you know, the toast was going away after a certain amount of time. And you had to like, make sure you imported the right APIs and call the right functions. And it was kind of just funny and weird. And I think it'll be a lot nicer now. It was just too much work. It was a lot of work. Like he spent a lot of time like, making that work feel like it's a fish going upstream sometimes huh <laughs> yeah uh well herman what's what is coming up next for you what what's uh what are some things that you're excited about that you're uh working on or, or not working on <laughs> we're not working on that's uh that, yeah that's a good one um, <laughs> there's too many things i'm not working on it's, it's the, the answer to that coming next is finishing my uh, testing live course uh, that is something that grew out of i had i had 10 lessons planned i think i'm in 20 six now, 25, 26, something like that. <laughs> wow. Nice. Um, as those tend to grow. Scope creep is a, is a real thing, even with, you know, just <laughs> courses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's been extremely exciting and interesting to, to tackle. The last lesson that I'm planning right now is how to test external uploads. So, you know, not to your server, but uh, to other servers, which we call the cloud, of course. That is uh, the last lesson that I'm planning on that for the core of it. But then my plan is to always keep updating 
sort of small things here and there as they relate to testing LiveView until LiveView hits 1.0. That's sort of the, the promise of the course. So I need to add something for HEX templates and I want to see how that, you know, how that changes your testing. And uh, of course, once JS commands come in, we're going to see how, how to test those, that kind of thing. So there's that. There's finishing my book, the TDD Phoenix. Uh, there's always a desire to hit that with a, with a 1.0. That's always going to be free, uh, always out there. And uh, I just want to make it a better resource. There's a few things that I know that I have in my backlog of things that I want to improve and change and just iron out for that. And aside from that, I don't know more consulting. I do hope to maybe build some other apps with Elixir and Phoenix and LiveView that are like personal apps where I can continue experimenting things and continue pushing the envelope with LiveView. I really like the technology. I really like how productive it makes me feel. It reminds me of those first Rails days where you could, you felt like you had full control of everything and you could ship something alone or with a small team. Like that fundamental feeling is why I really, really, really like LiveView and why I'm bullish on it. I think it's, it's amazing that you can do so much with so little. I'm glad you said that because I, I know that same exact sentiment has been shared on the podcast before, but it's been a while since I heard that. So uh, thanks for repeating that because that is still just as true. And I think, it, I think that nails it. Well, Herman, if people want to follow any of these things, we'll have links to the online testing live view book. And uh, we want to be able to share a link to your course. And if they want to just follow you online and see what you're doing or as new projects come up and updates arise, where should they go to do that? Yeah, the best places are my website. So that's hermanvelasco.com. And we can probably drop a, a link uh, in the show notes if that's okay. And then also on Twitter. So I try to put most updates on Twitter. But most of my writing and updates and projects and all that stuff can be found on my website. So that would be the best place. Well, Herman, thank you very much for coming on and giving us an update on some of these things, but also sharing your perspective and experience in trying to help show how live you can model these common GUI patterns, especially as people are coming new to Elixir, new to Phoenix and LiveView. And they might be able to look at examples and say, well, how do I just make a button show up? Like, what does that look like? And just start with the simplest thing up to the more complex interactions. So I really appreciate you doing that and all the work that you're doing, sharing it publicly and just being open and free with it. I think it's great. It's a great resource for the community. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.